Father, we thank you for your love that goes beyond all understanding, for your love that knows no limits or knows no bounds, for your love that is unconditional and finds us where we are. And we thank you, oh God, that you will leave the 99 to go after one. And so, God, we pray that you would continue to be with us, open up our minds and our hearts to your word, and we thank you that you first loved us. Help us to hear your word and to be obedient as we respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Chris and Hannah and worship team, and we are grateful for your ministry. God bless you. Well, once again, good morning to you and and welcome. And even though it's a a cold day, I still have a joke for you. Is that okay? All right. So Johnny went home after church and his mom said to him, what did you learn in Sunday school today? And he said, we learned about Moses and the Israelites. So she said, well, tell me more. What did you learn? So he said, well, in Sunday school, our teacher taught us that God sent Moses behind enemy lines to go on a rescue mission to rescue the Israelites. So Moses rescued them and brought them, and when they got to the Red Sea, he got his engineers to build a bridge. So they built a bridge, and they were able to cross over it, and after everyone had crossed over, they sent bombers to destroy the bridge so the Egyptians couldn't come after them. That's how God saved them. So his mother's intrigue said, is that really what your Sunday school teacher taught you? He said, well, no, but if I told you what she said, you wouldn't believe it. (laughs) Well, this morning I want to talk to you from John chapter 13. And so if you have your Bibles, would you turn to John chapter 13? John chapter 13, and if you are able to, would you stand as we read verses 1 to 11. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not everyone was clean. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. 
From this passage in John chapter 13, this morning I want to talk to you about experiencing his grace, experiencing God's grace. Many of you have probably heard this passage of scripture before of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And if you understand why this is so significant, it's because he powerfully demonstrates him as a servant, being being humble and showing grace and love for his disciples. Jesus had authority over everything, yet he chose to serve his disciples and wash their feet. In the day of Jesus, the main mode of transportation would be walking. And so when people would walk because of them wearing their sandals and the dusty roads, the feet would often get fairly dirty. And so when they arrived to the home or to the house or place where they were going, it was custom that the servant or the lowest person who was usually the servant would be the one who would wash the feet of the guests who enter in. And so instead of the lowest person washing the feet, Jesus, who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, took on the position of a servant to wash his disciples' feet, to teach them that although he was somebody, he was still able to humble himself and to serve. In our world today, many people have this mentality of, that's not my job. That's not my responsibility. I don't have to do that. But Jesus teaches us from his example that we, despite who we are, despite our status in society, despite our education or our job, we can still be servants as well. He has called us to serve one another. He has called us to be humble as he is humble. And so he teaches his disciples this lesson by simply washing their feet, by simply extending to them this act of washing washing their feet. You see, when Jesus went to do this, none of the other disciples decided that they were going to wash the other disciples' feet as well. Some of them said, no, Lord, you can't do that. But no one decided that they were going to take the job to wash the feet. Jesus decided that he was going to do this. Jesus voluntarily touched their feet, a part of the body that not many people want to touch. That is often a part that is covered up and neglected, but he shows them that he came to serve. And Matthew chapter 20, verse 28 tells us, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus came to serve. That is his purpose. He came not only to die for us, but he came to serve. He came to heal. He came to bring hope. He came to restore sight to the blind. He came to raise the dead. He came to serve. And he shows us over and over and over again in scripture what he came to do. I would assume that most of you have heard of the word grace, right? Most of us would have heard of the word grace. We talk about grace in many different terms. We know that there are ladies with the name grace, right? Some of you know someone by the name of Grace. Credit card companies give us a grace period to pay off our credit cards before they start charging us interest. Musicians speak of a grace note. We describe an actress or a dancer as graceful or grace 
There are different usage for the word grace. And although we can say the word grace, do we truly understand it? Do we truly understand what grace means? A new pastor was visiting one of the older ladies in his congregation, and he was trying to find out how much she knew about the doctrine and and what she believed. And so he was asking her all of these questions, and she, trying to impress the pastor, was trying her best to answer and, and look like she knew what she was talking about. And so each time he asked her a question, she would agree with the doctrine and say a little bit about it. And so finally, he gets to the question of, now, my dear, do you understand and and do you accept the doctrine of falling from grace? And she nodded her head and she said, oh, yes, pastor, I, I accept that doctrine. And not only do I accept it, but I regularly practice it. (laughs) I regularly practice it. When we hear about grace, do we understand what grace means? You see, grace is unmerited favor. It's unmerited favor that we don't deserve. It's God's favor. It's his kindness towards us that we don't deserve. And nothing that we can do or nothing that we have done can earn us grace. It is a gift from God. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 tells us, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. You see, many people have the understanding that if I'm a good person, I get to go to heaven. If I do good things, then I'll earn my way into heaven. It's that understanding. But God tells us that there's nothing that you can do to get to heaven. There's nothing that you can do to be saved. It's not by works. It's not by acts. It's not by how you live or or any of those things. But it's simply by grace through faith. That if you believe and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, then you will be saved. It's as simple as that. And I need to make that declaration. I need to make that profession in order to be saved. It doesn't matter how many doors I knock on to tell people about eternal life. If I don't believe in Jesus Christ and accept him, then I'm not saved. It is by grace through faith. God gives us that gift. We can't earn it. We can't work for it. We can't get it ourselves. But it's simply from God. It is a gift that he extends to us. And we have to accept it. And so he gives us that gift. And Jesus extends that grace to his disciples. There are many times where they prove themselves to need God's grace, to need Jesus' grace. And in this act of him washing their feet, he shows them that as many times as they may fail, as many times as they mess up, that he is still willing to serve them, that he's still willing to extend that which they don't deserve. In verse 11, if you notice what it says, it says, if I can find it here, it says, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not everyone was clean. 
Jesus knew in going into washing his disciples' feet, he knew who was going to betray him. He knew that they were going to turn their backs on him. They, he knew what was going to happen, yet he did not allow that to stop him from serving them. He didn't allow the fact that he knew that they were going to betray him, that he knew Judas was going to turn his back and betray him. He still washed their feet. He showed them grace that they didn't deserve. He showed Judas grace that he didn't deserve. Jesus had enough reasons not to wash the disciples' feet, but yet he did. Philip doubted Jesus feeding 5,000. Peter denied knowing Jesus. Judas betrayed Jesus and sold him out, and he knew all that was going to happen and all that had already happened, yet he still showed them grace. He set that example, and likewise, we are to follow it as well. You see, not only did Jesus wash their feet, but look at the demonstration and look at the position. He stoops down low to wash their feet, literally getting on his knees and his hands to wash them. You see, we serve a God who not only comes to our rescue, but a God who stoops down low to come to our need, a God who comes to our level, a God who comes to our place of need. If you look at the story of the lady caught in the act of adult adultery, Jesus comes to her rescue. When everyone is lining up to stone her, he stoops down and writes in the sand. He stoops down on her behalf. You see, God not only comes to our rescue, but he stoops down low for us. He shows us the grace that we don't deserve. He comes to our level to help us to understand. We serve a God who will come to our rescue. A God who comes even when we we don't deserve him. He comes and stoops down on our behalf. No other religion has ever claimed to have a God so full of grace, a God who is willing to cleanse, to forgive, to serve. And that is what separates Jesus from all else. That is the God that we serve, a God who is willing to come and to serve us. In other religions, people will say, this is what you have to do. This is what you have to do. This is what you have to do. On the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. It's finished. The work is done. All you need to do is to accept and to believe. And through that, yes, through that, we should be compelled to live lives that are changed and transformed. But there's nothing that we can do to earn salvation. He says, it's finished. I have made it possible for you to have that. He comes to our rescue when we need him. So he knew that Judas was going to betray him. He knew that the disciples would turn their back on him in his time of need. He knew all that was going to happen, yet he still chose to wash their feet. Jesus chose to wash Judas' feet as well, his betrayer. If you knew that someone was going to intentionally hurt you, wrong you, do something evil towards you, would you still be able to do something like that for them? To wash their feet, to serve them, to forgive them in advance? 
For most of us, if we're honest, the answer is no. For most of us, we would try to get back at them or try to do something so that they couldn't hurt us. For most of us, forgiveness, if we're honest, is difficult. Forgiveness is difficult. But Jesus shows that forgiveness is necessary. Forgiveness is what we need to extend to others, for he extends it to us and expects us to do the same. And there are times where it's easier than other times, right? There are times where it may be easy to forgive that incidence, but there are other times where it's harder, Are we able to forgive parents who have abandoned us? Are we able to forgive children who disobey us and rebel against us? Are we able to forgive spouses who cheat on us or or lie to us? Are we able to forgive people in general who wrong us? Are we able to forgive as quickly as Jesus forgives? You see, on our own, we're not able to do that. But with his help, we can do anything. With his help, we can put those hurts behind us and move on. And of course, that doesn't mean that things will go back to normal. But what that means is we've made peace, that in our hearts we know that we have forgiven and we are moving on, that we're not choosing to dwell on the past any longer, but we are letting it go. We are setting ourselves free from that bondage, from that chain that is holding us back from that unforgiveness. He has given that example. And at the end of the day, forgiveness is not easy, but it is necessary. Forgiveness is not easy, but it's something that is necessary. God wants not only our whole hearts, but he wants our hearts whole. God not only wants our whole hearts, did you get that? But he wants our hearts whole. And so in order to do that, we need to set those things free. We need to let go of those grudges that we may be holding on to, that bitterness, that unforgiveness, all of those emotions, and put them to aside because life is too short. Life is too short to hold on to those things. Life is too short to dwell on the past. Life is too short to continue to live with those those thoughts and those feelings towards other people. Let them go. Let the bitterness, let the anger, let the resentment, let all of those things go. Someone might ask, do you expect me to forgive the man who took advantage of me? Do you expect me to forgive the husband or wife who cheated on me? Do you expect me to forgive the drunk driver who took the life of my family member? Do you expect me to forgive that person who stole from me? Do you expect me to forgive? And as hard as it may be, the answer is yes, because Jesus forgave us. And when we understand what we have been forgiven of and saved from, then it makes it a little easier a little easier for us to be able to forgive. When we understand that he took on the sins of the world in order that we would be forgiven, in order that we could experience eternal life, when we consider all of those things, then we can't help but extend that forgiveness to others even when they have hurt us. 
Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin, that means that what we deserve as sinners is death. But he gives us the gift of eternal life. He has given that and extended that to us. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 12 says, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. You see, when God forgives us, not only does he forgive, but he forgets. It says that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. When God forgives, he forgets. Now, he's not asking us to forget what people have done to us, but he is asking us to extend that same forgiveness to others as well. To extend that forgiveness, that grace that we may feel they don't deserve. Deserve. Jesus can help us to get to that point of forgiveness. Are, is there someone or are there some people in your life that you need to forgive? That you need to extend that same forgiveness to? That you need to symbolically wash their feet and extend that grace, extend that mercy, extend that compassion to them. Because here's the hard truth. Here's hard truth today. Matthew chapter 6 verse 15 says, but if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. This is what he says. And it's something that we need to take seriously because he says that if you don't want to forgive your brothers and sisters, then I'm not going to forgive you. If we refuse to forgive others, how can we expect God to forgive us? We need to extend the same forgiveness to others that Jesus has given to us. And so if there are people or if there's a person in your life, then before you leave today, I challenge you to ask God to help you to forgive them, to ask God to help you to forget about what that has, ha what, what feelings have happened, what has transpired, and to move forward so that you can move on free from those things that are holding you back. Jesus extends that grace to us. There's a beautiful song that the verse and the chorus say this. I believe we have the words. It says, marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe. You that are longing to see his face, will you this moment his grace receive? And then the chorus says, grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Our sin is great, but his grace is always greater. And we are grateful for Jesus' grace. We are grateful that over and over again, he extends that which we don't deserve to us. He extends that to us in times where we need it the most. The other day I was at a mall that was very, you could say, posh or high class. And of course, if you've ever been in those malls, you know, there are certain stores that are a little maybe above your price range, right? And so, you know, stores like maybe Gucci or Louis Vuitton or, you know, 
one of those stores or whatever. And so I was browsing in, in one of those stores that, you know, the security stands at the door and kind of looks at you like, ma'am, are you sure that you, you're, you know, are you sure you want to enter in? And so I was browsing in one of those stores and looking at some of the price tags and, you know, just not wanting to touch anything because you might break something. And, and so it, it was boggling my mind that someone would pay this amount for this item. Have you ever thought that? Like, who made this that it's costing that much money, right? Like, how did they get to that point of making this? And so I'm looking at some of these items, and I'm just thinking, it's not really something that I would buy, but who would pay that price for it anyways, just because it has a name brand on it? And so I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, people actually pay this amount. How does something, how is something's worth determined? If you think about that, how is something's worth determined? It's determined by the amount someone is willing to pay for it right? If someone's willing to pay the price for it, if someone's willing to pay $4,000 for this, then guess what it's going to be sold for? $4,000. I may not think it's worth it. You may not think it's worth it. This is the word of God, so it is worth it, but I'm just giving you an example. But if we don't think it's worth it, that's one thing. But if someone's willing to pay it, then guess what? That's how much it's going to be worth, right? No, no matter if we think it's worth it or not. And it's the same thing when it comes to us and God. People may look at us and say, the message of the cross is foolishness, right? It's foolishness. Why would Jesus go and die on the cross for people who don't even love him? Why would Jesus extend that grace and that compassion? And why would he do such a foolish thing? Why would he pay a price that they did not deserve? Why would they pay a price that is far too high? You see, people may look at that and say, it's foolish that he would go and do that. But he looks at us and says, you're worth it. That is how much I think you're worth. The fact that I would go and die on the cross for you, that is what you're worth. He tells us what we're worth by him dying on the cross for us. He tells us by him paying the price for our sins. We may not think it's worth, but Jesus looks upon us and says, you're worth it. I love you, and I'm willing to pay that price. No one else is willing to pay it, but I am willing to pay it because that is what you are worth. May we look upon others and see them through the eyes of Christ. May we look upon others and see them despite who they are, whether we think that they deserve our forgiveness or not, and say they are God's creation. They are a child of God. And so may you ask the Lord and may we ask the Lord to help us to extend that same love, that same grace, that same forgiveness to others as well. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your grace 
that covers us, that surrounds us. We thank you, Lord, that although we have messed up time and time again, that we have fallen short of your standards, that we have sinned against you, that you are so loving and forgiving, that you are willing to look beyond and to forgive us, oh God, that you are willing to cover us, oh God, to extend that mercy and that compassion and all that we don't deserve. And so, Father, we thank you for that. And we pray that you would help us not only to receive your grace and your love and your forgiveness, but to extend it to others as well. And so, Lord, may we live our lives forgiving others. May we live our lives extending grace. May we live our lives showing love and doing, Lord, that which people don't expect but what you expect from us. And so, Lord, we thank you for your amazing love. We thank you for your love that covers us, for your love that surrounds us, for your reckless love, oh God, that searches and chases after us. And so we thank you in Jesus' name, amen, amen.